With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Carol Francis on Make Life Happen, and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, as the chance may be. We are on the uh, the, the aftermath of what's happened to uh, what, children in uh, Connecticut. It, it makes me so sad to consider what the parents there or families or communities have to endure in order to be able to just go on with life, whatever life has for them. Oh, how do we understand serial killers or massacres or senseless killings such as this? How do we look at them? How do we think about or feel about them? And the truth is, is that we have endured this as a world in every single era of the human existence and that our country has been relatively peaceful along those lines makes us starkly unique. So when we go to places like Syria and Egypt and other such locations right now, their world is filled with senseless killings. But to help us discuss this in a way that is both literary, interesting, and unusually fun because her book is really enjoyable, is Lori Howell, who is the author of a new mystery called Reflection. Hello, Lori Howell. How are you today? Oh, hi. I'm wonderful. Thank you. And hello to everybody. Yes. Okay. So this book, Reflection, we're going to just dive right into it, is I find it as I, I just got it last night, I find it as I read it. But I want to go on to the next chapter, the next chapter, because I'm so puzzled or curious or somehow feeling like I'm being led down a path of of unfolding uh, experiences of the characters, and 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 I find myself kind of like puzzling, which is a wonderful feeling. I love feeling puzzled while I read a book. Is that what you intended for me to experience, Lori? Yes, I wanted to yeah. keep the the reader. <laughs> going at all times and and hopefully keep the page turning. And the characters were written as if they were actually really, really people, true people. And I was wanted to get that message out. And I'm glad I'm doing it. Yes, you are with me, definitely. So now in, in the process of writing a book like this, you must get somewhat attached to your characters or at least connected to your characters enough to I almost wish you could meet them or or develop them more or know more about their history. What's it like for you to become acquainted with the character in your book? Each of the characters have a special meaning uh, within myself, and yes, you do get very attached to them. At the point sometimes when you're not able to continue to write, um, I just am a two-year <laughs> breast cancer um, survivor, which is I'm very, very pleased. But during the process that I was taking care of myself and going through my treatments, I put my writing on hold. I just couldn't get into it. 
And uh, there was one point that I, my mom is so into this, and she's awesome. And I called her and said, boy, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I was actually listening to some voices in my kitchen, and I told her it was my characters, and they're uh, protesting and talking about a strike because they were looking for a new author because I put them on the shelf for too long. <laughs> well, she cracked up. She thought that was funny. And then time kind of goes on, and then she called me like at midnight, and she goes, oh, by the way, she goes, Lori, you have to, Dr. Bra- Bailey Fairchild, which is my main character, she called and wanted to know what's going on because they still haven't heard from you. So we made this a really a fun <laughs> keeping the characters going and alive and that's the fun part of writing a novel and it's my first and it's taken a few years but it was well worth the journey you know and no it's not your first book and we'll get to in that more but i really want to focus on the book just now so you have elena Dupree. am i saying that correctly she's 14 years old that's your first character that you mentioned in the book and she's giving birth to an eight pound nine ounce baby and I know that many of the listeners may think that that's kind of far-fetched, but I actually, as a psychologist, have worked with women who were pre- impregnated by fathers, brothers, neighbors, boyfriends at a very young age and had to face the pains of giving up their baby or abortion or trying to figure out how to raise a child at age 14. So not such a far-fetched uh, process that occurs. First, tell me about your background along those lines or what you were thinking about women uh, in that position at such an early age? I I think it's probably just, as you have said, you know, seeing and hearing the papers, what's going on with children. And my own daughter, my youngest daughter, was uh, brutally raped. And mm-hmm. from not a family member, thank God, not that it makes it any better, it doesn't. But that kind of spun it a little bit. And then to take it to where there's such young girls out there, we have human trafficking so that tells you that, mm-hmm. you know, for such a an advanced society, in some areas we're really not. And I was hoping to write where people can really kind of sit and feel for it, even though it's a fiction book. But I really wanted the heart in there to really make us see what's around us. Our world of what we live in, this is what's there. And I think if we can remember um, how important it is to really love thy neighbor and, and understand where they're coming from makes it, I think, a better society and take the responsibility to make sure there is actually uh, places and foundations that these people can go to and and be taken care of. So we are kind of our brother's keepers in some respect, but we have to know that we are uh, we have to come with sensitivity. How do we avoid um, collaborating with them in a way that we become well? One of the terms would be like codependent, or that we in we we kind of perpetuate the problem because we're now so supportive that we don't help them become responsible for themselves? It's a, that's a very good question because you do, you do have to know the balance. And I think the balance starts in with you don't have to give up your full life, but you can participate. Uh, there's ways of donating if someone just wants to be able to donate time, maybe just finding out, uh, getting per, a person directed to a better education program, resources, or if you have extra funds, you know, keeping these these institutions or these areas of training young women or families with domestic violence, how there has to be a way for them. And as us who are here to help, we have to, again, be aware of the balance. And I think that comes in with, with proper education and, again, maybe from professionals who are who specialize in that. 
um, who have a background in people, you know, resources and behavior patterns. I think that would be a really helpful way to bring it back to the community where not not anyone particular is feeling, like you said, taking on way too much where it becomes where you're enabling that person. So we are discussing with Lori Howe, author of Reflections, a wonderful mystery that's very timely and very much about our society as it is today, this very day. Um, this is not about some remote issue. And our first character, Elena Dupree, 14 years old, got pregnant. Because of why, what can you reveal about her that you want the, the potential readers to know? Because kind of spoil it to know anything on a mystery, but nonetheless. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's the southern part of, uh, of America, and I'm not here to uh, make any particular community feel anything but but I think you know that part of that area uh, lack of education her mother died when she was very young and she was left to be raised by a stepfather and a stepbrother who um, physically abused her so you know again it goes back to I think maybe because they were a very poor family they didn't have the resources and so I think this is you know what I was trying to come across but as you read further into the book um, her baby that she left for adoption shows how this one young man turned out to be a phenomenal person. So whatever his life started out with, um, he was adopted by a wonderful family, and life got better for him. Before we even get to her son, who was adopted, named Abe, um, yes. interesting choice, um, I think that I want to just dwell a little bit longer because she has a very intense reaction and ends up killing a number of people. Tell me a little bit about that. She, um, because she was so poor and so young, all she knew to survive was to live on the streets. And the only way she knew to, um, and it was kind of, here she was, you know, raped as a very young girl. That became her only way of making her life, and she basically slept with men. Uh, when men started to become physically harmful to her, not intentionally meaning to do harm to them, she has, she killed a few people in her passing. Um, my main character, who's a forensic pathologist, who also tries to help people, um, and know the mind of a serial killer. That was the main message of what she's trying to study. She did try to um, get Elena to surrender, to make things better for her, but in the process of it, she was you know, killed in the line of duty um, during the action of trying to be arrested. Hmm. So I think this is where I want to kind of stay for a moment or two. As we discuss your, your book, Lori, the book is, again, Reflections. It's available on Amazon and where else, Lori? Pardon? Your book is available where? Amazon? Barnes & Noble. There is a local bookstore in Pacific Grove, California, and it's called The Works. It is also going to be available um, with another bookstore, bookstore here locally in the Monterey Peninsula that I'm working on. And right now, Barnes & Noble already has me set up for book signing in the first part of January. And also on my website, which is in a writersmind.com. Wonderful. Okay, writersmind.com. You can um, order this book. I would definitely encourage this also through Amazon called Reflections by Lori Hell. But, Lori, I do want to stay on this point about Elena, the first character that you mentioned, because 
We're facing the individual that massacred all these children and eight adults at Sandy Hooks in Connecticut. We're we're facing what happened in the Portland Mall uh, just last week. We're facing memories of what occurred in Aurora, Colorado, in a movie theater when The Dark Knight Rises was uh, showing for people's entertainment, and suddenly they were massacred. So we're, we're facing massacres that are very close to heart. And the first question I always see asked by the news reporters or the individuals that were part of it is, why? Why would he do this? What was he made of? What was he like? And I don't know what you think about that, and I want to know more because that's a part of what you're saying about your main, your first character. Um, but it, it strikes me that we want to know because if we know, perhaps we can stop these horrific happenings. If we know, maybe we can make sense of a senseless situation. It's like a need of the human to know about why such horrible things happen. So, Lori, since you spent some definite time contemplating that as you coalesce with your characters, what's your take on all this? It's a very heartfelt um, topic, and it, it, it touches many mothers, family members throughout the world. I'm a mom and a grandmother, so when these things happen, and and I'm thankful that my you know my children are safe, but I look at it, and I was trying to write this book where people can understand, and I'm not blaming parents of children that commit crime or do harm, but I think sometimes as a society, again, I go back to that, if there's a way, um, they ask what happened to this young man, that was my first question. I understand that he was, his mother was a target. Was there a family history of problems? Was there... Was he being treated and, and, and medicated? Is it um, time for us to make our students and our, our families that are having children attend these schools where there's a teacher that may have these situations? I don't know, but I believe sometimes we cover up things too much. I'm not saying we need to be in each other's personal business, but sometimes if this particular child or the 24-year-old man who did this young man was it something that was known in the school district? Is it, as we saw, it was extremely harmful to so many families and so many children? Could we have prevented it by eliminating or not having that particular uh, family involved, uh, meaning we have to scrutinize, and it was it something that the school knew about? I don't know, but that would be the first place I would check, and if that's the case, maybe we need to get a little bit more serious on who teaches our children and the safety factors within our schools. How did he come in with the weapons he did? So it looks back again of taking responsibility to make our children in a much safer world. As hard as it is to say that we take some away their freedom, I'd rather take away a little bit of freedom and keep our children safe. And that's just my take of it. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, part of your answer, Lori, is, you know, what could the authorities have done to prevent him? And my my analysis of all that's been written, and of course some of it is rumor and supposition, was that because the principal and the school psychologist attempted to keep him off the campus once they realized what he was up to, they were shot, or cold and dead, um, that anybody that got in his way with five weapons was going to be massacred. There wasn't going to be any argument from his point of view. Maybe we should. Yeah, maybe we should start taking. Maybe, how did he get the weapons? And I, if I understand, he was a person who had uh, clinically, I, I guess, was diagnosed with some problems. How did he 
get possession of these weapons? Are we making it too easy? These are questions that I think should be seriously looked at, and what can we do to make it a better gun control? I mean, it, it should have never happened, but it is happening, and it, like and you said earlier, it's happening all over the world, and maybe it's time that most of us got together and figured out a better way. What can we do as a society to make our world, our community, a safer community? Maybe we need to start having township meetings and talk about what can we do. Don't go on into a frenzy where we're going to take control and, and make it a worse thing. But what can we do as a community to make our environment and our homes and our schools safer for our children? Uh, by the time your character, Elena, is greeted by a compassionate woman, Ella, the nurse that wants her to connect with her baby, wants her to understand what she's done, wants her to embrace the importance of giving birth to a wonderful little boy. Um, Elena's closed off. She's she's cold. She's she's still she's she's learned to wall herself from herself from the inside out and from the outside in. Do, do you, what, what relevance is that? defensive mechanism uh, in your mind to people who have gone out and become quite violent? I think they shut down. They become numb and they don't. They no longer feel. They. She had so much for her lifetime of, of, and I believe I wrote in the book, love was not an equation in her life. She had no idea what it meant to be loved, feel love, have compassion, have someone care for her. It, I don't excuse it. I don't excuse or condone any form of violence to anybody, but I hope we can understand at some point what people think and what they feel, and maybe knowing that sometimes um, could have helped. In this situation, I don't know, but I do believe she just felt nothing. She was so cold, and to not relate or or even feel a new baby, it tells you a lot about what she went through in her life 14 years. Do you want us to move into our compassion? Do you want us to move into our sense of horror that this individual is, that is capable of horrible things may have endured horrible things inside themselves? Either their nightmares or their actual relationships were so violent or violating, or that um, the world that they lived inside of was just so awful that it comes explosively and violently out. And you want us to be compassionate about that. Am I understanding correctly? Compassion to the point that we understand it, but not condone it. There's a huge difference. Um, Nicely said. uh, Pardon? Nicely said. There is. It's a a big difference. What I mean by compassionate side, if we understand what a person's going through, maybe at the time when she was in the hospital, before they released her, instead of leaving her alone, where she was able to, on her own, leave the hospital – it's those kind of things. Be compassionate enough to say, okay, this is what this young girl's going through. What could she be capable of? Not that she would, but why not take the measures or the steps to in case of maybe not release her or have her release. She did on her own leave. So I'm trying to, as I wrote it, to show these are the scenarios that could happen. And, again, it's a fiction book, but it's something to really think about. Um, what can we do, again, as a society, even in the medical field, in that area that she was, you know, which she was in. And um, hopefully it will open enough doors and enough mindset to say, hey, this is happening in the real world, let alone in a fiction book. What can we do to make this a better world? How can we change it by knowing how people think in their mind? 
It's, it, it's an interesting idea that individuals who have the capacity to look beyond how angry they are, how they want revenge against someone who could be so violent and destructive, that they could have compassion, not condolence, but enough compassion to say, you know what, I need to empower myself to be able to reach out and make interventions so that individuals in this kind of pain and torture won't lash out and destroy people needlessly. And for individuals who are healers or kind or they're in the healing professions or they're in the assisting professions, to note their power to be able to affect a change that might have ripple effects that if they're successful, they'll never really comprehend what they have prevented. What do you think about that? I I think that's well stated. That's exactly what would be in the perfect world. I know we don't have a perfect world, but how do we start working in that arena? And you said it. You you said it perfectly. If there was a way, how do we know what we could have? How many lives we could save in the future? Again, like I said, my book's fiction, but we have it in the real world. Could somebody have? What could we've done for this young man who did what he did? I don't know how far gone he was. I don't know what was his background history, but I do know too many young children, too many families are being um, taken and their families are destroyed. So how do we stop this? There has to be a reason. Do we have, again, the gun control is too lenient? And do we need to get back out there and really look into it and find out what we can do? The medical world, right there in hospitals, bring it to, you know, help these people. A lot of people don't have insurance. A lot of people don't even have the money. She was only 14 years old. But obviously she was just, you know, she just didn't have anything. And, again, I don't condone what she did, hoping to write it where all of us can stop and think, okay, how could we make this a better society for everyone here? Your character is Dr. Fairchild, who is the main character, I take it. She says, very early in the third chapter, quote, every human being has the characteristics, emotions, and motives of being transformed into something beyond their own imagination. Ooh, that statement was powerful to me. What did you mean by that? I believe, depending on circumstances, possibly enough losses, enough heartache, I believe someone could do things that they would never, ever be imaginable. I think that's why we have to be careful of anger and rage. Look at the road rage. Um, someone who every day doesn't affect by it, but they could be in a state of just lost their job, lost their home, and, again, something can trigger them. And I'm not saying that I'm on this mission that I'm for the bad people. I'm not. I'm on the mission to try to make us, again, as a society, to really understand that we are all human, we're made up all the same characteristics. Some were able with better upbringing, environment. I don't know what makes the difference. And then there's others who just don't have it. So knowing that they are walking amongst us, what can we do to keep it a safe, loving environment to bring it back to where we're touching the heart of everything? Now, Laurie, I get the impression that you're not just speaking about this from a a purely theoretical point of view or a literary point of view, but you mentioned that your daughter was raped. Am I referencing that accurately? That is correct. That is correct. And Kent, I I want nothing to do with intruding on your life, and at the same time it seems like that might be very relevant to your message. What would you like to say about that? 
Um, she she was, and, and she was just shy of being 21, and it was brutal, and I'm thankful every day that she's here alive. It um, My daughter could have, we tried to prosecute, um, we didn't win, and not because it did not happen, it's just what happens in the political, the government world. We didn't have mm-hmm. enough of the evidence to make it concrete, and it's very tough, and she tried, she tried very, very hard. Um, we found out in her process of what she was trying to do, and I'm very proud of her. She's 28 years old, and through what she's been through, she has a really good head on her shoulders. She's um, my little hero, actually. But what she had stated mm-hmm. was and what she found, the um, man was in his late 60s or early 60s who r- raped my daughter, and which was, like I said, a brutal, we're not sure if she'll even have children. But she was able, and she found oh, out that dear. he himself had raped his own daughter, and I think he did serve time on that for him, for her. What my daughter was able to accomplish, she got him on um, Megan's Law. So at least that much was accomplished, and so my daughter feels extremely um, grateful that that part of it did happen, but he never served time for her. So she... What, pardon? But what does she do with her sense of rage and, um, you know, any human urge to revenge? Um, maybe it's the fact that well, we're Christians and we talk about it, that um, two wrongs don't make a right. And it was very hard for me as a mom as well to keep my rage in control because, believe me, I thought of all the, everything under the sun and I, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. But she, she talks about it, and right now she has volunteered. She's training that she wanted to be part of the domestic rape violence here in the Monterey Peninsula. So she's working with other women, and she came home, and she told me she was mom. They even had it worse than what I did. and I, So I'm seeing her grow. She's now studying to be a psychologist. She wants to help um, young women or anybody who goes through what she went through. And she's trying to turn this into um, a good thing, you know, not let it destroy the rest of her life. And we have walked through it together, and I believe the closeness and the love we have for each other We've had to talk to each other more than more than one time about revenge and, and hate and that it just doesn't work. It just doesn't make it right. What can we do to go out there? And like I said, she's now trying to turn it to make it a good thing for her and for other people. She really wants to make sure it doesn't happen to others. Hmm. And then how does she feel about the justice system that really hasn't affected any sort of protection uh, for her or any sort of message to the world that she was wronged? You know, she, um, Laura's message has been that, you know, it happened. And we've gone over how many different ways she could have, what could she have done. And it was nothing. It wasn't her fault. It was, it just happened. And being wronged um, for her was, it was initially, it's like it's been about seven years. The first two or three years, she was very angry. She even dressed differently, which is I understand is very normal. She was a very tiny, petite, <laughs> and kind of an angelic person, and she came home and looked like a tomboy in leather jackets. I'm whoa, what happened here? But it was the it, it's very normal for um, rape victims to totally go into that uh, mindset. It's their way of protecting them again. Mm-hmm. And so, so mm-hmm. please continue. Mm-hmm. Her her way of dealing with it, her message to the world is that no matter what happens, um, you can make a choice. Let it destroy the rest of your life or 
do what you can to be better from it and how you get through it. And she's um, going back into some counseling, just and that's where she gets her help too. And we talk about it here, and whenever she wants, I don't probe on her, but when I'm open to her when she needs to sit down and have a, a heart-to-heart chat and the one thing that we've come to, we were very angry, which is a very normal process, but we had to learn how to filter our anger and not become that. And that was initially it was tough. And now we we just keep praying about it and we give a lot of it to God. We just let him go with it. Not an easy thing. So now we're going to go back to the book with Dr. Fairchild. Tell us about this hero. Tell us about this woman that becomes unwittingly a hero. She, her mission is to, um, she's brilliant in what she does, and her whole position as a forensic pathologist is to go in there and she has to know and study the minds of serial killers, what makes them tick. As hard as it is, because you're going into an arena that's, you know, unloving and it's it's not the best place to go. She goes in there and she wants to make sure that um, one of her, what turned her, what made her become that, that changed her career, her first was she was going to college in France. She wanted to be an an artist. She was a brilliant painter. She was from the South, Alabama, and her, at the time, she was um, engaged to a black man. He was half black, half white, and he was, in the South at the time, that was not acceptable, and he was killed in the line of duty with a setup. And so because it was a botched up DNA and everything, they didn't have the DNA testing as they do today, she made a promise to him and to herself that she was going to become the best forensic pathologist out there, that there was not going to be any more serial killings or mis-killings or um, anything else that's going to be botched up or people innocently will be victimized. So that was her mission, and that's what she did, and that's what she did. It's a tall order. It is a very tall order, and she becomes in this process of trying to do all this and clean up the act and, and knowing how wrong people and mayor who is um, the brother to a very wealthy family in Beverly Hills, he covered up his own nephew who was um, a killer and she discovered it and found it and made sure that all who were involved and did harm to a woman that they were prosecuted. And mm-hmm. that was her, what she does. And her mission is, yes, I understand a serial killer, okay, I have to know how they think and tick, but my mission and my role is to make sure the world becomes safer and I don't let any of these, you know, serial killers go out and and justify it. She makes sure there's justice. You know, so one thing I love about books, I'm losing myself in fiction, and especially fiction that promises to end the right way, quote-unquote. Yes, Um, yes, it it, has a very good end. is that the hero is the wounded hero usually? You know, some sort of wound is entered into their life where they're, uh, where they they are catapulted into either suffering and becoming powerless, which is what you talked about with your daughter, with yourself, um, or they're catapulted into becoming heroes for society and those that also might suffer, so that the suffering becomes the vehicle for strengthening the muscles of reaching out and making things better, and. 
and the book ends, not your, not your book because I haven't finished it yet, but the book ends often with everybody, the reader, being able to go, phew, yes, that's right, the the right side won, the, 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 the wounded hero overcomes, the world's a better place, and you close the book and you have that reverie for that period of time. And I think that there's a wish in all of us as human beings to move in that direction, because to not move in that direction, the opposite is almost more horrible than whatever terror or massacre or threat that could happen, which would be hopelessness, Correct. a sense that the world is going to be... Oh, oh, please, speak to this. What are you thinking right now? Oh, I, I was listening. I'm sorry. No, everything you're saying is correct, and I do apologize. The book oh, no. is written to where my characters are showing how they are serial killers. That's the, There's two of them. Um, the first one is you talk about Elena Dupre. The second one is Rachel. And she comes in and she, uh, I'll be telling more of the book, but what happens oh. is Dr. Bailey Fairchild becomes an actual victim herself. She's now prey and they're after her because of what she does, and she does it so brilliantly. And now the reason for it is because the other character, Rachel Ralston, was um, my main character's identical twin that she did not know she had. When um, Dr. Fairchild was born, her mother was very young and lost her during childbirth. The second baby was stillborn, and they thought the baby had passed away. So they never made a big deal out of it. Her grandparents mm-hmm. raised her, and then she wound up being raised at three years old from her own grandfather, which his character mm-hmm. is very much like my grandfather. So, yes, sometimes mm-hmm. writers do take <laughs> the character they have because mm-hmm. he was so unique, and it's it's how they are. Their closeness, they're extremely close, and they have great a great childhood, and he's taught her many wonderful things, and that makes her the person she is. But she's also had heartaches of um, relationships like the rest of us women do, and but she's had to go through it, and there's a point that she can be very loving, she can be very standoffish, but when it comes to her work, she's brilliant, and she goes to the highest heights of it all. When her, the only way the twin came out in the book is very much toward the end. She's deciding to retire after what happened with Elena Dupre. It really bothered her, but um, she lectures all over the world, and she's very good at it, and one of the other doctors, his name is um, Dr. Charles, and he wanted to go to her uh, lecture and going on, and he puts her up on his website and his internet, and he sees a picture of her. Well, she's identical twin to his wife that no one ever knew it to exist. So he's really curious, and he goes, sets up an appointment, and yes, she's going to have a lecture. She didn't know who he was. But in the process of he's flying over to the lecture, he the plane crashed. He was killed. Well, when Rachel, the twin, found this out, of course, she, her only child was on the plane. Their son, who was just accepted Harvard, and mm-hmm. so she already lost her parents years ago. They were killed in the plane crash. All these emotions. This woman was raised very well, very wealthy family, lost the two main things in her heart that she loved the most, and so then she's the one that went going after Dr. Bailey Fairchild throughout the book. You never know about her. It's kind of hidden. You've got a couple things going on. You don't know who's who. And then at the end, um, when they have their own meeting and confrontation one-on-one and they're dressed identical, um, an accident happens to where 
Dr. Bailey is trying to save her sister. Here she didn't know she had her and trying to understand what turn and she's proceeding to tell her. And I don't want to give too much of the details of the book. Well, I know you're giving me too much. I'm not sure what yeah. I <laughs> So And there's more to it. This is just little bits and pieces. But, yeah. um, again, and it's ended very well. It has an ending that it's pretty phenomenal. It brings the goodness out of everyone. There we go again. <laughs> Pardon? I love there we go again, that wonderful ending that just allows us to all have that you know, that euphoric sense of well being and um and it doesn't always come out that way. That's that's no, the dilemma of life. Mhm. And I wanted empathy. I want the readers to feel and I believe that's what's gonna happen as you read further into the book. There's gonna be empathy and not just because of the serial killers, but of the why. And then you'll have the empathy for every character that's been created of understanding them and knowing them and where their mind is mm-hmm. and their heart. Um, as you're writing this, let's go into the, the mind of a writer, everybody. Let's, let's listen to Lori Howell's mind and heart as she creates a book. And again, she's the author of a book called Reflections, a fascinating mystery that's very relevant to today. And uh, it's full of details. Sometimes when I'm reading your book, your, the, the chapters, I'm looking at a detail going, am I going to need that detail for some unfolding of mystery in the future or not? Because some mystery readers will give you clues and you don't know which ones you need to like write on a graph chart or which ones can you just like take in as a, a literary device, so to speak. And, um, so you must have had lots of fun embedding your clues in the book and and I, I mean, what is that like to write along those lines? I've not written a mystery. I've written eight other books, but not a mystery. It is a lot of fun. And what I do is what they call brainstorm. I'll take one character and then I will write their name in the center of it. And on each on the sides of that circle, I'll start writing what I want to hit. And if it's the clues, I will literally get into and start writing these clues. But I have to make them, you know, it's fiction, pretty convincing too. They have to make sense. So a lot of times I have to go in there and I have to reenact them. And so a lot of times, a lot of my character creating, you really do become the character. No, I did not go out and kill anybody. That's not what I did. But you have to really go in and feel their heart. And the clues were a lot of fun. And, yes, some of the clues will be carried throughout, and some clues will be just there enough just to keep you curious, too. Oh, that's interesting. And so the character that you the characters you created, sometimes you live them. How did you... How did you go about even initiating the thought of writing this? Because before you'd written children's book and books, and your biography says that you've been involved with writing groups and writing seminars and, and conferences. But how did you go about deciding, okay, I'm ready for a mystery now? It, it just came to me. I was on vacation. Actually, I was in Alabama, and I was sitting out on the beach, and the characters just started actually flowing. The names started coming, and then I started designing from each name. And part of it, some of it has been what we live. Um, some of the the men in there, um, her particular heart loss that she had, it was one of my heart heartbreaks. So you kind of do oh. take from some of the things you <laughs> you live through because it makes it more real. Mm, and then, of course, yeah. you take it and you have to spin off of it. You don't want to just be what you have. But sometimes to really feel and get where you're really designing and making sure how you're writing it. It has to be enough to where it's, it's got your heart really in there. Sometimes it's what you've actually done. 
Mm. How how does your family respond to you when you're in a state of writing? Because when I go in a state of writing, I am so absorbed. I will be listening to them and everything they say. Um, I mean, I'm listening, but I know there's a part of me that's always in the process of creating this this next section of the book or the outline or or whatever's going forward. And so so my family is impacted by my process of writing. How is your family impacted? Um, my daughter is the only one that lives with me, and she knows she's been the years of me writing, and she knows when I get up at two thirty, three o'clock, and that yeah, that's my most creative time. And I'm up here writing, and I'm in the middle of it. Um, she just totally leaves me alone. And there's times I could do a whole weekend, and literally I call a shutdown of writing, and then I'll go and go for an hour walk and come back, and she just totally. Leave it alone. My family, my brothers, my mom, they all know, and Lori's in that writing mode. We just don't even go there. We just leave her alone. <laughs> it's, it's so, absorbing. So I do find it's the balance. Absolutely right. absorbing. Pardon? What's it like? What's it, it's absorbing. And so it, it, what's it like when you're also in the catharsis of your own past experience and putting your a, a, a literary version of your past experience on the page for the readers to enjoy but nonetheless, you're engaged in some sort of emotional catharsis yourself as well. What's that like? It's emotional. It can be sometimes, there's actually times that I'm actually writing an actual part or scene that I'm actually in tears. I'm actually crying. I'm actually feeling it again. And um, But mm-hmm. what I do is I just, um, I'll, that's when I walk away from it. I'll take about a 20, 30-minute walk. I'll do a walk break and then come back. Okay. So, you, so that you do find that you have a need to to organize oh, yes. yourself around those experiences. Yeah, you you do, especially when you get very emotional because it it gets very draining. And I don't want the emotions of one scene or one character to stay there for too long because then it I don't want it to go into the next character that may not even have that same scene or that same. Thing. It is so interesting that you say that because I've noticed lately in the different mysteries I've read recently, not in the past but recently that there seems to be a very swift shift from one moment to the next to the next and also a quick shift to into a resolution of an issue as you're tracing the path to the next issue um, or the next drama or the next event. And it's, it's very fast, almost like it, it clicks into rising you up and then resolving it, then rising you up again and then resolving it and so forth and so on. So that there's this, um, this quick process of acceleration. I don't know if you've noticed the change in mystery writers along those lines, and if you've consciously included that in the writing or not. Um, I consciously, I had to make an awareness because I didn't want it to. You don't want it to just run in because then, then there's no longer that flow. Um, I have noticed that. I think what's happening is um, a lot of writers, and we're being told. You know, we used to write up to 400 pages or more as a novel, and I and now we're being told, you know, I guess the reader average now is they want less books, less pages. So we're hitting, yes. we're taking a 350, 400 page novel, we're putting it into a much smaller book, which right. is fine, but you don't want to lose the, some really good stuff. So maybe that's what's happening, and they, and they are going up and down, up and down. I've tried to make it to where each transition is a smooth transition, that it goes in. And what I've done, instead of affecting into the writing of the character, you'll notice that there will be more chapters. Sometimes when there's a chapter break, that makes it where it's still connecting, but it's not such a big choppy or, or a definite um, noticeability on it. 
I wasn't talking about it being choppy. I was talking about it more being um, quick. Like there's a quick paceness to it, not just because there's lots of action. Yes, there is. But because there is, you're, there is a, yes. you're, you're taking in this scene and then that scene and this event and then it goes into that and it resolves into that. It's not choppy. It's, it's uh, faster. Yeah, it's faster. And I, I know our television shows are more like that as well as they do simultaneous uh, showing of this minute here and then simultaneously across the world, this thing's going on. And um, Do you feel the fastness when you're rereading it? Um, I do. I try not to make mine that fast. I mean, you want you want a page turner, and I and I think you have to be careful of a page turner and something going too fast because you don't you don't want to lose the audience as well. But I do think that's what's becoming more of our audience. I think that's what's out there, mm-hmm. and so we're trying to write to accommodate that. But yet, as writers, we have to be careful that we don't get too fast into it because I don't want to. Feed through the, the whole book either. You know, you got to be, you got to find that balance. So, readers, as you're uh, reaching out for your next mystery reflections, Lori, what's for I'm sorry. Is phone keys there? <laughs> you listeners, you really do want to pick up Lori, Lori Howell, H O W E L L, book on the called Reflections. You will appreciate it both as something that inspires you and something that entertains you. And that's uh, definitely a go. Give it as a gift. Give it as a gift to yourself, to others. You will gladly appreciate it. Now, Lori, tell us a little bit about your writing history. This is is not your first book, but is it your first novel? This is my first novel, yes. Okay. And your other books for what? I have a children's book published. It's called An Adventure with Joshua and Hoppy the Frog. This is Teaching Children Self-Worth. There's a series, and the second book is written and with my illustrations, and it's not out yet, and it's an adventure with Joshua and Rocky the Otter, and that teaches children courage. And I've written the uh, book to where the parents will cause the parents and the child to interact. I was trying to keep kids from having mm. to read a book by themselves to where they're going to ask moms questions, like what is it? In Hoppy Frog, it talks about all in the eyes of the beholder, and the kid, the child's going to say, "Well, what does that mean, mommy?" And so, mm-hmm. as they're reading the book, it will tell them. And mm-hmm. the frog and the little boy have this tremendous friendship. And the frog, because you know most people think frogs are not attractive, the little boy and his grandmother taught Hoppy how to feel good about himself. That he, in mm-hmm. the eyes of the beholder, he's as beautiful, and it's got a great storyline that goes with it. Oh, that's fun. That's great. And what else? Rocky the Otter is teaching courage, and this is about an otter who is too scared to go swim out in the out in the bay, which is unusual because that's what they do. So Joshua teaches um, Rocky how to have the courage to go back out and swim because when Joshua was riding his surfboard, he wound up getting uh, hit by a wave, and the otter had to save his life, so he had to swim out to bring him in. So teaches that one. And then I'm also writing, I have, um, because I was inspired by my grandson when I wrote this, and in the meantime, my two granddaughters came along. So I've added a third book, and it's an adventure with Bubba the Bear, and it teaches the kids as siblings how to get along and to love each other. And nothing beyond that should ever change. It keeps them together. I am writing right now. Pardon? Go ahead. I have a funny feeling that you're the right author to approach on the following topic. You know, we are in an era since 2001 for sure 
where our children are really very exposed to terrorists and horrific sorts of happenings. They see it on television. They see it on the news. They they know that it's happening to the nearby elementary school. Just locally, Wednesday, two days before what happened in Connecticut, there was a lockdown in my own community uh, because there had been robbers of a 7-Eleven were walking around on the campus. So, you know, so they are exposed to these events now, and we need to kind of take a grip on ourselves as adults uh, and say, okay, how do we equip our children to go through that so they don't lose their humanity, their sense of themselves, their sense of progressing in the world. They don't fall into a deep depression or a a helplessness about life, um, nor identify with the people that are the perpetrators of this violence. And I'm wondering if it's time for a child's book that says how to deal with horrific or terrifying events so that you don't lose yourself. What do you think, Lori? You I that? think it's, I'm for it. I would love to be the first <laughs> author to write that out there, and you just gave me a great mm-hmm. idea because I think it's, something that it's definitely needed. I talked to my oldest daughter, um, who's the mother of my three grandchildren, and we were. she texted me when this horrible thing happened in Connecticut. And she lives in Reno, and I'm here in California, so we don't have as much time together as we'd like. But when she texts me and I could tell in her words that this really, really touched her and it really hurt, you know, she was just right. heart sickened by it all. And then when I did talk to her briefly, we had talked about what do we, she sees, you know, the concern and the fear in her her own children's eyes. Yeah. How do we How do we do that? And, you know, and I, and I said to her, I said, you know, you just have to love them, reassure them, and just let them know that, you know, this is the world and, you know, look, ask them. They're old enough. Ask them what they would think would help them keep safe. They're 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. Six-year-old really can't. But let's ask 11-year-old. Let's ask a 12-year-old. There's nothing wrong with asking these children what would make mm-hmm. them feel safe in their school when they're away from home. Mm-hmm. So, so I may be writing the next children's book with asking children, how, what would make mm-hmm. you feel safe? Mm-hmm. And I, and I well, think a good start. you know, yeah, the the idea that we need to empower ourselves as much as we possibly can to deal with this after it has happened. We need to empower ourselves to deal with it as much as we can if we can prevent it. And that we also need to fortify ourselves knowing that this that our nation has not had this nearly as much as a lot of other nations and communities. Um, so that obviously people have, unfortunately, sadly, had to endure this, but fortunately have also survived it. Um, so it would be wonderful to have a child's book where parents can say, okay, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of life. You need to be able to survive the harshness of life and still maintain your sense of verve, enthusiasm, optimism, uh, you having your own vision for your own success and your ability to help the community at large and not to retreat, not to become hermits, not to also become violent. Um so please charge forth. <laughs> I, I, it's a great idea, and I'm going to. I'm, I'm ecstatic about it. It really, it's been something I've been um, wanting this weekend, and I was wanting. I'm sitting down as I'm thinking of other books to write. I've already written two other novels, Sedona Dawn and Sedona Justice. All I have to do, they're in draft form, is get them typed up. But now I'm gearing back into my children's book. Love your idea, and I'm going to do everything I can to see what I could come out with it. And talk to some parents. I think that's the thing to do as we write as I write this book. And you gave me some great ideas of what we can do to make our children, like you said, not lose the childhood of what it is to be a child. 
to have that angelic feeling of, you know, the innocence. I don't want our our kids to have our innocence taken away at such a young age. How can we keep it in them and still keep them safe and still have that awareness around them? Or maybe something kind of horrible to say, but is it time for us to say that maybe a child is better served not being innocent? And as a child better served... Maybe. Maybe in today's world, as much as, you know, I wrote like my theory theme for my children's book was to kind of have that Huckleberry Finn and it's a very um, mm-hmm. old kind of state-of-the-art kind of uh, illustrations. The lady who did it did a brilliant job. I wanted to keep it old-fashioned and not have the great big cartoon-like looking on it. And maybe this maybe this what we need again as society. Our job, the world is what it is today and maybe as much as we want to hang on to the innocence of it, this is this is what we have to deal with. So now what can we do in this world, as it is, how can we teach our children to keep the awareness, but yet still, like you said earlier, to still enjoy life, to still go out there and not give up on their dreams and their visions. And when I do sign my children's book, I do put on there, reading is adventure to your dreams and adventures mm-hmm. in life. Enjoy your journey. And that's what I write to all the children, that they have to read. They have to read for these adventures and maybe getting out there with some really good books, like you just said, how how can we make this a better world for our children? And with the parents. I think that, with the parents. Yeah. I think I think that you write though your writing for the children, your writing of this book reflections is not only about um in, enjoyment and and thinking about these issues, but it's also about equipping individuals with a human recognition that they do have power and not to live within their sense of limits or their fear that they have to be small or shrink away from a complication. That sometimes they, sometimes within their lifetime, to kind of anticipate that they will be having to live up to a hard moment and be a hero in their environment and to equip themselves to rise above the fear and rise above the urge to shrink away and rise into the capacity to take charge of a moment. And I think your hero in your book inspires individuals to say, okay, you know, if I were faced with this, am I going to be able to be equipped? How do I become equipped to be this dynamic, this much of an assistant, this much of a a, a warrior? That is correct. That's what she is. She's a warrior, but yet I designed her or created her to be at a point that she's so human. She has every woman's feelings. She's gone through the experience we have. And for each of the characters throughout the book, each character, as I'm for each of those readers, we do have a responsibility. And we can become heroes within ourselves, or as you said, we can close our eyes and and walk away from it. And I believe even us as adults beyond our children are ready to say, okay, this is what the world is. What can we do? I I think the world's going very fast-paced, high technology, a lot of self-entertaining people Family unity is slipping away, and that's why I wrote the children's book where the parents will be interacting with the kids again. And, again, not putting any of the parents down. We all have lives. We have double parents working, and there's single moms out there. I was a single mom that raised my two daughters, and I know how tough it is. It's not an easy world, but I'm hoping it gives people enough courage to say, I can do this. I can do this, and I will do it. Hmm. And that includes reading books to your children. <laughs> oh, I, I definitely I agree. Yeah. I think having that 20 minutes with your child, you know, we're, we we live in a very fast-paced society, and 
and we all are working hard, and moms and dads, not just one or both sometimes are losing their jobs. And not that they don't love their children or don't have the time for them, it's easy to get caught up into it, you know, maybe a little later. And if they can just sit down 20 minutes a day and just read with their child, bring that, turn off the TV and bring it back to them. And I think that would be such a huge difference. And, and I don't think we realize how much. When I do go into elementary schools, and I have given some readings, and they've drawn names, and a child will win a book. When sometimes the schools will offer to pay you to go and visit, I've asked them if they have a reading program in place to keep the money to keep the reading going. Oh, if we can beautiful. keep our reading in our schools, I know, um, you know Spanish is becoming a very big secondary language, so next year I'm hoping on Hoppy Frog that I can make it English-Spanish so nice. either child can have it. I don't want no one, you know, I don't want a child not to be able to do it. I've had a couple book signings where I've had a child go in, throw up to read the book. I've told them, if you read it, you may have it free as long as you just tell their kids about the book. So I'm trying to encourage them to oh, read bless it. Oh, bless your heart. And, and to see what they go through and how it's just, I, I love to see a child take, especially when they feel good about themselves, and that means a lot. And I've even had it to where I've had a couple of them. I've given the books away, and they didn't understand English, but the mother was able to do Spanish and English, and I told her, if you can read it to your son or daughter, here, please do. Reading is so important in our country, and I hate to see the fact that we're losing our bookstores, and, you know, moms would always take their kids, let's keep the books going, let's keep keep it out there. There's plenty of beautiful children's books out there, and read, read, read is all I can tell, because it really does implant every child's desire to dream. And don't take their mm. dreams away because dreams turn into reality. And that's what mm. can make their world bigger. That's oh, wonderfully said. Okay, well, you may have said that, the, the, pithy, the pithy statement at the end of our show, but I'm going to give you a chance for one more pithy statement. But before we do, in other words, I'm going to ask you to close us out on perhaps your favorite quote from the book or your your biggest idea and conviction that you really want people to walk away from and, and then go out and buy the book. But before they do that, I want you to delineate all the ways they can actually purchase your book as soon as they stop listening to this program. Go ahead. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, my website, which is inawritersmind.com. There can you is spell a, that out? Yes, I-N-A-W-R-I-T-E-R-S-M. IND.com. Also, there is a local bookstore here in the Monterey Peninsula called The Works of Pacific Grove. I will also be having a book signing through Pilgrim, and that's in Carmel, California. And then there will be the River House in Carmel. They're going to be having a book there as well. But Amazon and Barnes & Noble is for the, the bigger, uh, more open crowd out there. Okay, so I could actually go down to my local Barnes & Noble and your book will be there? Those, they're not stocking the shelves yet, but they will get it for you in two to three days. And can I get it on my Nook? Or Yes, you'll be able to. Now, <laughs> for the Nook, for Kindle. Kindle, and for smartphone, next week they're going to be on my website. They'll have all the e-books that you can think of. Every 
uh, way of doing it for technology. And right now I'm working with uh, some editing and formatters to get it online for next week. But that, you can actually order the book itself off my website as well. And that again is in? I in in a writer's mind dot com. I in in a writer's mind dot com. Wonderful. Well, take us away now into your final thoughts that will leave us thinking for the rest of the day. I think in our in our country as Americans, I think we're very, very fortunate and very blessed with all the opportunities that we do have. I think the main thing we have looking right in front of us is our children and that's our future keeping reading, keeping our writing, and keeping those two wonderful things in our children's hands, minds, and hearts on a daily basis, I think is going to change the world for the better. But I think the biggest thing that I can ask for all parents and those who are aunts and uncles or grandparents or just may not have their own children, but just the love. And if that alone could be out there to everybody and keep our world today There's a lot of um, heartache. We were going through a lot of losses. But I think if we just look at each other with more of kindness and understanding and a smile when someone else looks at us and they're not in their best mood, I think if we just can go out there, I know it kind of sounds like, wow, she's way out there, but, you know, this is when we need more of the wows. We need more people out there that can just walk with a happy heart and smile Mm -hmm. for someone who's having a really bad day and go a long way. Wow. So live in your heart. Thank you so much for joining me, Lori Howe, author of Reflections. We didn't even get to her poetry, children's books, and compassionate about understanding complexities of human nature and violence. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Listeners, be well. Go forward. Be courageous. Take care. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.